Welcome to OsteoCast, where we talk all things osteopathy, functional anatomy, and movement. With your hosts, myself, Colby Brokel, Amanda Boysen, and Sarah Pucal. Hello and welcome back to OsteoCast, the podcast with your hosts, myself, Sarah, Amanda, and Colby. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? So today we are doing a case study. Um, We are going to talk about uh, the history of the case study, primary complaints, uh, how they presented on the table, and then just have a little discussion about um, how we would think through this case study and uh, just what the expectations are with treatment for this client overall. So... Uh, So let's set the stage. It is a 38-year-old male, um, quite the health history. Um, So his first injury was back in uh, 1993. So he would have been about nine years old. He had a broken right collarbone, Uh, did not receive any rehab, which we know that's pretty common for a broken collarbone. Sling the arm, try not to move it, let the bone heal. Um, Following that, he went through a brain aneurysm in 1995 and ended up having brain surgery uh, to repair that through the sagittal sutra. Uh, Not long after that, he suffered from a stroke, uh, had to go through rehab, and that stroke uh, gave him epilepsy as well. And throughout that stroke, he ended up resulting in a slow bone growth through the right side of his body. So from the age of 11, he didn't have the same strength or mobility through the right arm and the right leg. Um, Within that same year and a year after that, he had a broken right wrist and a broken pelvis, both just from falls, um, from lack of full function of mobility, and no rehab either for either of those injuries. Uh, And then your typical, you know, wisdom teeth removed a few years later. And then a bit later on in life, ended up having a loss of smell and taste um, after an epileptic episode. So a lot going on with the client. And the reason they came in the clinic for treatment, their primary complaint was lower back pain. Um, and as well as a secondary complaint, restless sleep. So uh, waking up with a bit of pain and anxiety or generally just not being able to sleep very well due to these uh, two symptoms. So their first uh, presentation in the clinic um, is what you would expect, just overall very limited mobility through the spinal joints. Uh, The cranial sacral rhythm was very quick, almost with a pulsating uh, feeling throughout the temporal bone, specifically more on the left than the right. Uh, Heightened nervous system, so difficult to even uh, get in to test through the joints. Uh, No mobility through sacrum, which, again, kind of based on the history, we would expect that as well. And uh, a few spasms through the right leg on the table with any type of contact with the right leg. So whether that was just oscillation or just kind of picking up the right leg just to see how was that coxofemoral SI joint moving. All right. So that was a load of information. Do you guys have any questions or comments before I keep going? No, I think uh, I think you dive right into it, and we'll jump in as we go and see see some of the things that you've done. Uh, Mandy, do you have any questions? I was just curious if you knew which side his um, pelvis was broken on. 
Uh, he didn't know. No. Okay. He, he couldn't remember. He was so young. And because there was no treatment given, he didn't actually um, get x-rays or anything like that. He just knew that he couldn't walk for a couple months and just had to take it easy. Gotcha. Um, okay. So because of that, there was some fibrosity through the SI joint. So SI joints don't move. Sacrum doesn't move. So just really limited mobility. Um, because his right leg generally is a weaker leg compared to the left, um, the left side of his body is quite strong and does lead. So you can kind of imagine there's always that uh, rotation where he's kind of pulling that right side behind him as that left uh, side leads through the body. So he uh, tissue texture was quite poor um, through the cervicals and the lumbars especially. Um, and when I say poor, it was really ropey, uh, very taut, um, just kind of what I would call irritated, just not not happy tissue. Uh, and generally, health uh, regarding diet of the client is um, average, I would say. Uh, you know, they, they eat as healthy as they can within, you know, reason, um, not somebody that over drinks pop or uh, eats fast food every day, so generally kind of does watch his water intake, making sure that he has enough um, enough nutrients in his diet. So with that being said, we would expect uh, decent health of the tissues at least, or we know that he does have a healthier physiology just from a lifestyle perspective, right? Um, so we've had about five treatments thus far. Uh, and the client understands that it's been, you know, he's been, this happened to him at a quite a young age and we're now treating him 15, 20 years later from the initial injury. So yeah. we're not expecting miracles on the table, but just overall trying to improve the health of the patient and just reduce pain really. Let's get him sleeping better. Let's see if he can wake up without having back pain every day. Um, so the very cool thing is we are already seeing improved tissue texture through the neck and the lumbar spine, meaning it's much less ropey. And when he comes into the clinic, I can find more range of motion through these joints. Uh, and the concavity, very concave through the right side initially, through the cervicals and lumbars. And that's starting to uh, loosen up a little bit. Again, it's that fine line of we don't want to fully take out his compensation because that's what's provided him the ability to live with that right side not functioning as well as it should. We're creating more mobility through his spine just for having global uh, proper nerve supply, making sure there's no perverted signals happening as well, though not undoing his compensation too much because that is how he is uh, fully functional uh, without the help of any... Um, and that's allowing him to live his life without any assistance or support, which is quite incredible. Uh, so client still comes in with uh, back pain um, and a bit of restless sleep uh, that is starting to slowly improve, especially after treatment. So now he um, has been coming in about once every three weeks just based on schedule and as well as how he is feeling. So just kind of coming in when his back pain is starting to increase again. 
Um, so we have seen uh, a decrease in its craniosacral rhythm. So it's not so chaotic and so quick, which has been very good. So his nervous system is starting to settle down a little bit. Um, and he doesn't have the right leg spasms on the table anymore, uh, which has been very cool to see that change. And if he does, they're usually very short-lived um, and just one, two pulses versus kind of a full minute of that leg spasming. So overall, it's been a, a cool treatment experience and we do have a long ways to go, but just interesting to really feel that physiology change on the table. So I have two questions. Um, okay. Both are more functional, but how is digestion and then how is breathing? What are the, the qualities questions. of those, mm-hmm. those functions? Um, digestion surprisingly is pretty good. Regular bowel movements, um, well-formed, uh, appetite. Uh, I would say appetite's average. I don't think he has a huge appetite, but he eats, uh, appropriately. So a few times a day at least. Um, okay, cool. But generally doesn't suffer from any other digestive symptoms. Uh, regarding the digestive components of the spine, so uh, upper dorsals, limited in mobility, so they don't move very much, um, and they are heavily left rotated through that complex as well, so kind of through D5, D9, and a little bit down into D10 to D12. And then his respiratory diaphragm, I would say, is the biggest the bigger issue that we need to really focus on is that there's uh, not much movement through that respiratory diaphragm. So his breathing is more on the shallow side. Okay. And I think that's probably years of holding his breath from pain. When he's breathing, is it a uh, – how, how does the rib cage move? Does it expand or is the, does it lift up with the shoulders? Or is it like a hinge mechanism where the, the ribs tend to hinge with extension of the spine? Or what kind of mechanism is it with breathing? Yes, I would say more of the hinging motion with the spine. Okay. So um, not too much shoulder elevation, um, more limited through the upper rib cage. Lower rib cage moves a little bit, but then it does go into that um, extension for sure as, he, as he'll breathe in versus kind of filling that rib cage and everything expanding fully. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Okay, I also have two questions. Um, So my first question is, what does his um, day-to-day look like? Does he do any form of exercise, movement, mobility? Um, Like, is he he mobile and and moving quite regularly? Is that something you've recommended? That's the first question. Um, uh, Yes, he doesn't do any quote-unquote exercise. He is walking quite a bit for his job. Uh, And he has two very young children at home. So he's with his children at the park going for walks. Um, So he does walk, uh, but otherwise there's no um, kind of weight component. Um, You know, obviously no biking. I don't believe he makes it to the pool at this point in time, um, just with having two young kids at home. But he is active in the sense that he's on his feet more often during the day than not. Awesome. Um, and then my second question is about treatment. So when you first started seeing him, has your, your, the tools that you're using for treatment changed or adjusted over time? Um, and how did you first kind of work through his body to get in and make some changes? 
Uh, great question. So the initial treatment, I realized very quickly that um, there was such a big nervous system component. Um, and part of that too, I think, was it was the first time he was actually having any body work done as well. So um, as always, a little bit of maybe nervousness, right, with somebody moving your body and you've never had this done to you before. Uh, so we did focus on uh, more nervous system support initially. So um, some gentle sacral rocking, just oscillation through the spine, uh, as well as some cranial work focusing on um, great release with his sphenoid bone. And that seemed to really help just bring the cranial sacral rhythm down and as well just allow me to get into his body a little more and bring his anxiety of being on the table down. So the first two treatments I would say were more heavily nervous system focused. Um, and then following that, um, I could get into the body a little bit easier and just spend a little bit less time focusing on the cranium and maybe start there just to help ease him into treatment, but then we were able to do a lot more oscillating through the table um, and as well as changing positions by that third treatment, which initially um, it just wasn't an option. He just wasn't comfortable to lie on his side and um, whereas that comfort definitely increased further on in the treatment process. Awesome. Yeah, so it's been a very, very cool case, and we're going to definitely kind of keep working together and see where we get. Um, again, we're not expecting miracles on the table, but if we can just keep his back pain at bay and generally just start working on getting his tissues of his health and his tissues improved um, yeah. and just improve his quality of life, right? That's all we're looking for. Yeah, so I think that it's important, obviously, to know the health history and to be aware of it, but it's also important sometimes in a patient like this to uh, just treat the patient that's on the table because for the most part, the things from the health history um, aren't going to have a long-term effect where there's like a, a serious risk of getting more injured or, or more risk from it. So I think it's really important as a practitioner, whether it's it's us or others, is that when you have a health history that's quite significant, don't let it overwhelm you because it's still just the patient that's on the table. And I know we've talked about this before. I think it's really important to find where the health is in the patient and work from the health to expand that to the rest of the body. So looking for where things are working well. And I know, Sarah, you mentioned that digestion seems to be working quite well. And then also yeah. the fact that the... Uh, rib cage is is uh, hinging off of wherever that region may be, the lower uh, dorsals or the upper lumbars. There's probably a region in there that's moving quite well and, and looking at those couple of areas and using them to expand the range of motion or movement quality. Or sometimes even in his case, it may be the stability from that region, which comes with not only treatment, but also as Amanda yeah. was talking about with the exercises and stuff outside may be important for it. But I don't have the patient in front of me, nor do I have hands-on, so I can't say for certain any of these things. I'm just throwing a couple of ideas at you. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. Thanks, Colby. I think it's also important that your your notes are well-written in the, these cases as well, because it's very easy from a practitioner standpoint um, when working with long-term clients or clients that might need care for long-term to make sure that you're still seeing objective change. And the only way to, to know that across treatments is to keep your notes well. So when you can, 
when you can talk about, you know, the fact that the concavity is better and the tissue texture has changed, um, that stuff is really important to, to note. And to share that with the client, because it's hard if they've been in chronic pain their whole life and um, they suffer from anxiety or they have a really busy life, it's hard for them to see those uh, objective changes as well. So kind of just reminding them, like, you are getting better, like your health is improving. Um, because no one wants to kind of feel like they're just continuously going down this slope, right, of poor health yeah. or injury. So mm-hmm. it's important just to keep morale up as well. Um, it's a difficult conversation to have because obviously we always want our patients to see miraculous results quite quickly. Uh, but when things have been going on for quite some time and the body's made obviously massive compensations to make things work and function like in this patient, uh, it's a difficult conversation to have and say that there is objective change. And if you can somehow show that to them, if they're not seeing it subjectively, whether it's with motion testing, whether it's with photos, if they're comfortable with that or whatever it may be, but it, it is nice to be able to show them the objective change, even if they're not feeling that subjective difference, because sometimes one, they've been in a position for so long that they don't believe that they can change. So just showing them that things are changing sometimes is is huge, not only in their morale, but also in their body's ability to accept treatment and get better because they have the belief that things will get better. So sometimes I find in these cases, it's important to have the conversation or to show via motion testing or photos or whatever other ways you have. Um, but to point out like, hey, you know what? the cervicals and lumbars are moving a little bit better and show that there's rotation there versus there wasn't or whatever it may be. So I think that's really important sometimes is as you develop the patient's belief in their, in themselves and in their own body, then their body will tend to do better work. That's a huge point, Colby. Yeah. Really well summarized. Thank you everybody for listening. We apologize. We had a bit of a technical difficulty and the episode got cut off. But if you have any questions over the course of the episode, give us a shout out on Instagram or Facebook, and we'll talk to you guys next week.